Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are beginning a brand new series called The Family. And you, if you're familiar at all with popular cultural culture, you'll recognize uh, where we got the motif from for this series. In 1972, a movie came out called The Godfather, and it is today considered one of the greatest films of all time. Um, in a nutshell, it's a story of how uh, a young boy lost his father and mother, and virtually his whole family was wiped out because of the brutality of the Sicilian mafia. And so this young boy, in order to, to spare his life, he has to come to America. And when he gets to America, lo and behold, in New York City, he discovers that the same sorts of unfair and, uh, and, and cruel practices are taking place in New York as well. And so what happens is we see the evolution of this character called, called the Godfather, Mr. Corleone. Now, because he has experienced such brutality at the hands of criminals, um, and because of the loss of his family, we see a story evolve that is at once extremely brutal, and at the same time, there is something very touching about it, as this godfather is committed 100% to the health and well-being of his family. In fact, for him, his family is everything. And some of the uh, iconic phrases or lines that come from the movie, uh, young Michael, when his father has been shot, he no, Michael's not in the mafia. He is actually uh, he is in the in the army, and he plans not to have anything to do with it. But because of what happens to his father, he goes to the hospital and he says to his dad, "I'm here, Pop. I'll take care of you. I'm with you now. I'm with you." And so this family theme runs throughout this this extremely brutal story. Fredo, his older brother, Michael's older brother, he actually is sides against the family. And for Michael, this is, is the worst thing, the worst crime that Fredo could ever commit. And he says to Fredo, he says, Fredo, you're my older brother and I love you, but don't ever take sides uh, with anyone against the family again, ever. Michael shares some wisdom of his father, he says, there are many things my father taught me here in this room. He taught me, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Look at The reason this resonates with us, this story, and by the way, I'm not advocating or suggesting anybody watch it. I would suggest not to. But people long for a sense of safety, a sense of comfort, a sense of belonging. It's something that we all understand. And you're going to see in just a few moments how, in fact, the family is God's idea. And you're going to discover what it is that God wants for every single one of us. But before we, we get there, I, I sat down and I just thought, I wonder how many, how many TV sitcoms based on the family that I can remember. And so I sat down and I started listing Without checking Google or anything, I just started making a list of all the family sitcoms that I can remember. Now, I'm not a great TV watcher. The only thing I really watch is CNN. 
or the news. And uh, I began with the stories that I remember from my childhood. And the first one I remembered was the Brady Bunch. How many remember the Brady Bunch? Yeah, it's just a few old people here. Uh, and then how about My Three Sons? Anybody remember that one? Yeah. And, of course, it's a family where the mothers... I can't even remember why there's no mother in this story. Uh, there's a, a, a grouchy grandfather, I think, uh, that acts like a mother. But uh, that's what that story is about. And how about Leave it to Beaver? Anybody remember that one? No? Okay, so you're like, that's really old. Uh, it's old. I don't remember it. Uh, there's Full House that came out. And then there's a, a recent remake of it called... Fuller House, some of you are familiar with that. Uh, there's uh, Fraser, uh, it's kind of a, a strange family setup, but nevertheless, it's a family. It's a, a widowed father who is living with his elder son, uh, Fraser, and, it, it, this, and for 11, 11 seasons, 11 years, the stories unfold around, around that, that situation. And of course, there's Everybody Loves Raymond, and... Um, I would suggest this. If you're having family problems, then you need to get some Everybody Loves Raymond therapy. Just watch that story and just make sure you, you don't do whatever Raymond's doing. And, and you'll get it just about right. Fantastic therapy. TLC, the Learning Channel, they've got a whole string of, of TV programs based on the family. There's the Duggars. Uh, I think it's called 19 Kids and Counting. And uh, there's another one called The Little People, and I think there's probably about three or four different shows about these families. Um, I'm not sure what the proper tech, you know, politically correct name for it is, but short people, and these families and how, and how they, they function and how they get along and, or don't get along, as the case may be. There's The Cake Boss. And you quickly recognize, if you've watched that show, that it's not just about making cakes. It's about the interaction of, of Buddy and his family. And also the, the bakery family, that's another family. It kind of has a bit of the Godfather feel to it. And then TLC is coming up with a new show called Long Lost Family. I don't know if you've seen the advertisements for that. PBS had a show called Finding Your Roots. And basically what they did is they would, they would uh, get a, a high-profile uh, uh, superstar personality, and then they would show who that person was related to. And, uh, and it's quite interesting to see who people are related to and what their background is. I think every day I see an advertisement from Ancestry.com. Anybody heard of that? It's a, yeah, it's a special uh, program that you can, you can go to. You can do that after the service, not now, please. And uh, basically, Ancestry.com is helping you discover who your ancestors are. And one of the great commercials is a fellow, he's talking about how he would put on his Lederhosen because he believed he was German, but then when he got onto Ancestry.com, he discovered, in fact, Scott, that he was actually Scottish and not German. So he threw away Lederhosen and he bought himself a kilt. Fantastic. Now, the question is this, folks. Why this fascination? Why are people so fascinated about where they came from and who they are? Why do people want to know who am I and where did I come from and to whom do I belong? And I'll tell you why. Because inside the heart of every one of us is a longing, is a desire to belong. This is a God-given desire. This is how God has created us. God has, 
put within our hearts a longing, a desire to belong, to not be left out, to be part of a community. And in fact, if you read your Bible, you'll find from beginning to end, it's all about the community of God's people, from Genesis to Revelation. So, some of you here this morning may be asking the question, Pastor Allen, why are we doing yet another series on relationships in the family? Don't we do that too much? Shouldn't we be doing a series maybe on eschatology, about end times, about the end of the world? Well, the fact of the matter is, folks, uh, I am speaking about the end times, about the end of the world. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 and 2. And here's what the Apostle Paul says to his young protege, Timothy. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. Now just stop for a moment and think about that. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy that when the, when the end of the world comes, this is what it's going to look like. People will be more concerned about themselves than they are about their, about their children, than they are about, uh, about, about their neighbors, about their husband, their wife, their kids. They're going to be more concerned about themselves. And they're going to be more concerned about their love of money. And then he goes on to say this. They will be boastful. They will be proud. They will be scoffing at God. They will be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. And I'm going to tell you, folks, this series on the family basically is born out of this very acute awareness that I have as your pastor that we are living in very dark and dangerous days. We have a culture that hates the family and really hates marriage. And I don't have a great deal of time to get into the proving of that fact, but I, I, I'm going to show you in just a few moments what I'm talking about. I want you to understand today God's plan for the family, what God wants for you and your family and the people that you belong to. The family, as outlined in Scripture, as defined by Scripture, is under attack by our culture. One of, the, one of the TV shows out right now, the TV sitcoms, called The Modern Family. It's interesting, they have to use that adjective, modern, because it's signifying something. It's saying, this is not traditional. This is not, this is not what you and I grew up with. This is different. This is not what you understand is the norm. So here's what I want to do. Rather than examining the modern family, I want to experience and I want to examine God's plan for the family. And so here it is. Here's God's ideal for the family. And in order to understand this, what we have to do is we've got to go right back to Genesis chapter 1, which is in fact the very first chapter in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God has created Adam and Eve, and God says, now be fruitful and multiply. In other words, now that you're together, go and procreate. Go and have kids and, and take care of this beautiful earth that I've given to you. And then we get to Genesis chapter 2 now. And in Genesis chapter 2, God says this to Adam and Eve. He says, a man will leave his mother and father and, and join with his wife, unite to his wife. 
and do what? And become one flesh. Become a family unit. Now, everybody's clear on this. God wants men and women to come together to form a family and to become one flesh, to stand alone, and to become all that God wants them to be. God's expectation and plan for your family is that your family be a place where you are cared for and where you look after one another. Is that clear? That's what the family is, a place where you're cared for and where you take care of each other. That's God's sovereign plan. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Come together, have children, become a family unit, become one. But something happens by Genesis chapter 3. By Genesis chapter 3, here's what happens, and, and many of you know this. Adam and Eve, they sin against God. Rather than doing it God's way, they decide they're going to do it their own way. And can I just stop for a moment and say this? The whole point of coming to church and hearing Pastor Ellen speak and to preach is that I take the Bible and I share with you, I explain to you God's plan, God's best plan for your family and for your marriage and for your life. Adam and Eve made the very first big mistake. They decided, I don't need to listen to God. I'm not going to do it God's way. We're going to do it our own way. We don't have to listen to God. He's not the boss of us. They chafed under the instruction and guidance of God. I'm going to tell you right now that the very first mistake you will ever make and, and, and the mistake that you are going to regret more than any mistake is by thinking that you can live this life according to your own wits and wisdom. And if you don't believe me, that's your prerogative. But come talk to me in 10 years and tell me how it goes for you. God wants the very, very best for you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have a great life. He wants your life to be absolutely fantastic. But God is saying, do it my way, and it's going to go well for you. But Adam and Eve decided, no, we're not going to do it your way, God. We're going to do it our own way. They take the fruit, and you know what happens? Sin enters in. Now, I just want to back up for a moment and remind you of what it was like when God first created Eve. God saw Adam. He was so lonely. How many know that men are really pathetic without their wives? Hello? And God, Adam's just roaming around there, taking care of the garden, you know, picking fruit and, and saying, this is all beautiful, it's gorgeous, but... Man, all the other creatures on the planet, they all, have, they all have partners. Where's my partner, God? And God said, ha it's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? He puts Adam into a deep sleep, and, and from that comes this gorgeous, gorgeous woman. In fact, the Bible says, and it's, it's not clear in, in, in many uh, translations of the Scripture, but actually what Adam says when he, when he sees Eve, Adam goes, Oh, wow. Did you hear that, guys? Oh, wow. That's his response. This is incredible. This is for me? Yes, Adam, this is for you. 
But by Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had decided, we're not going to do it God's way, we're going to do it our own way. And next thing you know, sin has entered in. Their hearts have been opened to darkness and light, to sin and to evil. And God says, what's going on? And Adam, who remember in the last chapter is saying, oh, wow, is this time saying, God, it's her. It's that thing you created, that she thing. It's her fault. It's your fault for creating her, and it's her fault. She's the one responsible for getting us into this mess. And God looks over at Eve, and Eve says, hmm, well, it's not all my fault. God, it's your fault, because if you hadn't created this creature, then we wouldn't be in this trouble right now. And the story, you know, the story goes. That's Genesis chapter 3. By Genesis chapter 4, we see the first family feud. Cain and Abel, they, they hate each other. Or actually, Cain hates Abel. Abel doesn't hate him. Cain's jealous of him. Now understand, folks, the family is a place where people look out for each other and care for one another. And Cain is so angry and so jealous of his brother Abel because he believes that God favors Abel over Cain. How many know that the Bible says God has no favorites? Do you understand that? And God says to Cain, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain very flippantly says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that, Cain, is in fact, yes, you are your brother's keeper. At least that is God's plan. The family is a place where you're supposed to care for one another, look out for each other, a place where we care about what happens. Now, I'm going to tell you this this morning, and, and this is the part where I insult you, the part that everybody enjoys. And it's not my intention to hurt anybody's feelings or to insult anybody, but you may feel that way. And I'm going to tell you this today. If you're having problems in your marriage if you're having problems with your children, if you're having problems with your extended family, then so secular society would say this, oh, well, you're just not compatible. That's what a world would say that is not informed by Scripture or by God's perfect intentions. Oh, well, you're just incompatible. And so, therefore, you should split up. You should not be together anymore. You are not good for each other. You are better apart than together. I want you to know today that divorce is not God's best. In fact, the Bible says that God hates divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is because he knows how very brutal it is for children and he knows how very brutal it is for each individual who is getting a divorce. And you say, Pastor Allen, I got a divorce. Does this mean that God hates me? No, God doesn't hate you. But he hates the effect of a divorce. And if you're here today thinking, you know what, I need to get a divorce, then I'm going to ask you to, to rethink that and understand what God's best is for you. And divorce is not God's best. Jesus says this, in case you think I'm just being hard on you. 
Jesus says that the reason you're not getting along, the reason you're having problems with your kids or with your in-laws or with your brothers or your sisters or your husband or wife or kids is because of your own sin and selfishness. That's right. Now, obviously, I would be a very stupid pastor if I invited everybody to come to church every Sunday and then I just sat there and insulted you. That's not my point, folks. It's not what I want to do. In fact, I'd rather not tell you this. I'd rather just make you feel all warm and fuzzy and cuddly and cozy. But that's not what I've been called to do. I've been called to teach you and to tell you the truth. And Jesus says the reason that people get divorced, the reason that there is breakdown in the family, quote, is because of the hardness of your hearts. So here's what we need to do, because some of you are sitting here thinking, oh man, Pastor Allen, you just make me feel so bad. I feel so discouraged. I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you back on focus, back on track. I'm trying to get you realigned with God's purpose and plan for your life. God's plan for every one of us. Are you ready for this? This is, this is how much God loves you. God's plan for every single one of us is for our comfort, for our social and our emotional health, for our well-being. That's how much God loves us. God wants you to know what his very best plan is for your life. And it's that you function in a healthy family. The family is God's plan for your life. For your comfort, for your emotional and social health, and for your general well-being. His plan satisfies your deepest longings. And we know what the deepest longings of, of everybody here today and, and everywhere in the world. And that is, is that you feel that you belong. Now, you see, Pastor Allen, you don't know my family. Pastor Allen, I know there's a lot of families I'd like to be part of, but my family, Pastor Allen, is a family from hell. Well, here's the thing. You need to figure out how to make your family work. You need to figure out how to function in a healthy way in your family. Because here's what you need to know. Nobody here is born into a perfect family. I wasn't born into a healthy family. But we became healthy over the years as we consistently worked on it. We've had wars in our family. We've had tiffs. We've had uh, cold wars where we haven't, some haven't talked to each other for years. But we kept on saying, God, give us the grace, give us the strength, give us the help, give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us the strength. And God has done some phenomenal things in my family. But here's the problem with so many of us when it comes to our family. We under, we're under this impression or this notion that, that families are perfect. And can I just remind you of something? As long as you are in your family, it ain't ever going to be perfect. Hello. As long as you are in your family, it ain't ever going to be perfect. 
So what you need to do is you need to understand that you have a job to do. You have, a, you have the responsibility to begin to work on your family, work on all the relationships in your family. And here's what I know about everybody here today. You're thinking to yourself, you know, we would have a good family if it wasn't for my brother. My brother, such a pain in the neck. Boy, you know, he just brings disaster wherever he goes. Or I would have a great family if it weren't for my wife. My wife is so difficult. I can't read her. She doesn't make any sense. Women are from Venus, and I'm from Earth. And she's thinking, we would have a great family if it wasn't for him. Men are from Mars. I'm from Earth. The fact of the matter is, is that men are very different from women. For some of you, that might be the most important thing you've heard today. We're all different. And quite frankly, there's things that we don't understand about each other. And here's the biggest mistake that most men make, is that they think their wives are like them. That they think like them. That they have the same needs as them. And vice versa. Men and women are very different. Do you know your children are not like you? I've got three kids. I can see a little bit of me in, in all of them. But I can also see a little bit of their mom in all of them. So that makes all of them very different. I can't treat them all the same. I love them all the same. They're all my, all my favorites. But they're all different. I don't expect them to be like me. I don't expect them to be like their mom. I don't expect them to be like each other. So here's what's got to happen. You ready for this, folks? Ready? Here we go. Because this is going to shock you. You can't change your husband. Ladies, so just give that up. Just forget it. It's, it ain't going to ever happen. You'll never be able to change your husband. And guys, you'll never be able to change your wife. It's, it ain't ever going to happen. And you're not even going to be able to change your children. You might be able to get them to fall in line and do as you say because you're threatening them, but you can't even really change them. You can't change anybody. You can't change your mother or your mother-in-law, your father, your father. You can't change your neighbors. You can't change your aunts, uncles, cousins. You can't change your friends. You can't change anybody. But I'm going to tell you this morning who you can change. Are you hearing whispers? And you're getting it right. You can change yourself. It was a, that was a, a game changer for me as a father and as a husband. I can't change my kids, but what I can do is I can shape them, I can direct them, I can direct them in the way that they should go. And here's how I do it. By understanding that my job is to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus say about himself? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to, to serve. My job as a head of my home is not to be the dictator, the boss, and tell everybody what to do. My job is to serve my family and make sure everybody's comfortable, everybody's happy, everybody's cared for, everybody's protected, everybody has been heard. That's my job as a head of my home. I'm the chief servant. I'm the chief servant. I'm going to tell you this, folks. 
your family can be radically transformed if each and every one of you begins to understand that you can change yourself in your relationship to your, to your spouse and to your kids and to your parents and your in-laws and all the rest of the people that God has put into your life. Because I'm going to tell you this, folks. The people that God has brought into your life, the people, the family that you married into, contrary to what you may think, God knows the family that you're in, and God knows that you need that family. Yeah, but Pastor Alan, my family's a family from hell. Yeah, well, God knew that you needed that family. That maybe you've got some rough edges that God needs to rough off. that maybe there's a few things that you need to change about yourself. You see, we're so quick to change everybody else, but we fail to recognize that God needs to change us. And so here's the thing. You need to give up this notion of giving up. You need to get back on the horse, as they say. You need to start putting an effort into your family once again. And I don't care how hurt, how offended you are, you need to get back in there and start making an effort. And you say, Pastor Ellen, how many times should I make an effort? Well, Jesus told Peter 70 times seven times. Do the arithmetic on that one. How many times has God forgiven you? That's how often you should forgive the people in your life. Because God wants you to have a healthy, happy family. And you're going to do it for your sake. You're going to do it for the sake of your spouse. You're going to do it for the sake of your children. You're going to do it for the sake of everybody that's in your life. You say, but Pastor Allen, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, guess what? That's why we're having this series on the family to help you. That's why God gave you a pastor. My job is to talk to you and to help you and to do counseling if necessary, to do whatever it takes to get you through so that you have a healthy, a happy, healthy family. Because in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful they will consider nothing sacred. I'm going to tell you something right now, whether you know this or not, your family is sacred. It's holy. It's been created by God for his purpose on this earth. And by the way, can I just tell you this? A healthy society, a healthy culture, is healthy because of each family that's healthy. Destroy a family and you destroy a culture. Destroy a marriage, destroy, you're going to destroy a family. Destroy a family, you destroy your culture. You know, we, we, uh, we're trying to figure out what would be a great banner, a great representation of this sermon series. And you see the marionette strings there? And some of you feel like that. You feel so manipulated by your family, so controlled by your family. I'm going to tell you this today. Every family has its difficulties and its struggles. And families really are an enigma. They're a mystery. On the one hand, they can be so comforting and so reassuring, but on the other hand, man, they can be such a pain in the neck, so controlling. 
What you need to do is you need to start working and work on this for the rest of your life. And that is in developing a healthy family. Don't give up on it. Don't take a break from it. Keep on working at it. Keep on working on it. Keep on working on it. Do you know, I was talking to a mother yesterday, and she's got a couple sons now who are over the age of 18, and she was complaining to me that, that uh, her boys won't listen to anything she says. They, they hit a certain age, and that's it. I got lost control over them. Hmm. Maybe that's the beginning of your problem, trying to control your boys. And then she went on to explain that, you know, they're of a different generation than we are. Can I just tell you something about this idea, this notion of a generation gap? The phrase generation gap is, is a relatively new term. It just it surfaced in the 1960s with, the, with the, the hippie movement and the flower children. And suddenly there was a generation which we now call the baby boomers. They weren't called that then, but we call them that now. And they rebelled against their parents' music, their parents' politics, their parents' values, their parents' religion. And they then coined that term, the generation gap. Sociologists actually have a very scientific name for it. They call it institutional age segregation. Generation gap works for me. But I can tell you this, that is certainly not God's plan or God's wish or God's will. That, I think, is mainly a Western, a Western problem. You won't see it as much in the East. Some people are under the notion that our church caters only to young people. And if you're an older person today, I want you to know, well, actually, I want to set you straight. In our mission statement, we say that we're targeting the next generation, leading them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. When I say targeting the next generation, I'm not saying that we're favoring the next generation because the fact of the matter is, is that all these young people sitting here at the front, they're going to be the next, they're going to, they're, they are the next generation and very soon they're going to be the older generation. God's plan, folks, for the older generation is to take care of the younger generation. Those of you who are older, when's the last time you went up to a young person, you shook their hand, patted them on the back or on the head or whatever, and said, I'm so glad to see you in church. The older generation is supposed to be taking care of the younger generation. The older generation is supposed to be loving and caring for the younger generation, mentoring and preparing them for the future. What's God's plan and purpose for the family? is that every one of us be cared for and helped and loved. Do you know that the, that the health of the family is so important to God that it was actually codified in Israel's national covenant? We call that national covenant the Ten Commandments. The fifth covenant says, Children, honor your father and your mother. And the seventh commandment is, do not commit adultery. God makes sure that we understand what his plan is for us, and that is that you and I be part of a healthy family. And the way that your family is going to be healthy is by making sure that your children learn what it means to honor their mother and their father. That needs to be the most important thing you teach your kids. Because here's the thing. Someday they're going to turn 18, they're going to leave home, 
And if you haven't taught them how to honor their mother and their father, then they'll never know how to honor God. Your job as parents is to turn these kids over to God as soon as they're adults. And then the next commandment, do not commit adultery. Do you know that from these two commandments actually flows all of the various other stipulations in the, in the law of God, which seeks to protect your family and your marriage. So what's supposed to happen in your family? You, you, we're all part of a family. If it's not you know, with your own wife and kids, then you're part of the church family. What's supposed to happen in the family? Here it is, folks, in a nutshell. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. And it says, can you put that up, please? And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. The next generation. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. This is what's supposed to happen in the context of the family. We pass on our values. We pass on our beliefs to the next generation. And not only are we passing it on to our next generation, but we're reminding ourselves, husbands and wives, reminding each other, sitting, discussing, what it is that we believe. I'm going to ask a question to the couples. When's the last time the two of you had a discussion about your faith? I'm pretty sure that many of you haven't had a discussion about your faith in a very long time. When's the last time you said to your wife, you know, honey, I was reading the scripture today and here's what God said to me. This is how God spoke to me. Or when's the last time, ladies, you said to your husband, you know what, I just thank God that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What a difference it's made in my life. When's the last time you had a discussion like that with your kids? Now, you'll notice, I'm not saying sit down and read a Bible verse to your kids. I'm talking about discussing your faith with your kids. Do your kids even know that you love Jesus? Do your kids even know that you go to church because it's... it's it's a matter of life and death. Do they understand it? Talk about them repeatedly. When you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. My brother yesterday just uh, bought some chickens. That's right, chickens. He decided he wanted to be a chicken farmer. And I noticed that at home he built himself a chicken coop and he bought a book on how to be a chicken farmer. And uh, very, very excited about it. And this morning I got a text from him and, and in his hand he's, uh, he's holding something. And the text reads, I got my first chicken today. Now the problem is, is that in his hand was not a chicken. It was an egg. So I texted him back. I said, did you read all those books <laughs> on how to be a chicken farmer? Because that's not a chicken, that's an egg. And then he killed himself laughing. He said, Actually, I said, are you a chicken farmer or are you an egg farmer? He goes, well, I'm an egg farmer. I said, why didn't you get chicks? And the reason he didn't get chicks is because chicks are way too much trouble. And by chicks, 
Scott. Never mind. Too much trouble. You've got to buy an incubator. You've got to babysit these things. You've got to feed them properly. You've got to keep them warm at just the right temperature. They can't get too hot. They can't get too cold. It's just a pain in the neck. So actually, my brother's not a true chicken farmer. He wanted to get these chickens, and he wanted them to start laying eggs, and he wanted to lay them quick. Can I tell you something this morning? Being part of a family, raising a family, raising the next generation, it's such hard work, such time commitment, such energy required. Unfortunately, God, you can't go to, to Walmart or go to the Hutterites and buy chickens or get your kids. They come to you as babies and you raise them and you instill in them your values, your value system. You pass on to them your faith to the point that they grow up and they're able to go on their own and start their own families and replicate your faith and your values. I want to pray with you and I'm going to show you a video clip. Father, thank you for the family because this is the place where we're cared for. This is the place where there's emotional, social, health, and well-being. The family is a sanctuary. It's it's the one safe place in this world. And God, we have to admit today that, that for so many of us, our family, our home, is not a safe place. It may be a scary place for our kids. It may be a, a, a sad place for wives and husbands even. God, we pray that you give us the grace and the wisdom to do things your way, to turn our home into a sanctuary, into a safe place where our kids are happy, where our wives are happy, and where we're happy. We pray that in Jesus' name.